been a while since I've preached, so glad to be up here. Um, so as Pastor Steve said, I've been going through Psalm 119, and tonight I'll be continuing uh, on in, in verses 57 to 64. So Psalm 119, verses 57 to 64, and if you can stand, let's read God's Word together. Again, Psalm 119, verses 57 through 64. The title of the sermon tonight is, The Lord is My Portion. David writes, The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I have sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried, not hesitating to keep your commands. Though the ropes of the wicked were wrapped around me, I did not forget your instruction. I rise at midnight to thank you for your righteous judgments. I am a friend to all who fear you, to those who keep your precepts. Lord, The earth is filled with your faithful love. Teach me your statutes. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for the words you've given us to give us hope. As we've been going through Psalm 119, um, that message of hope is just constantly before us as we deal with sin and the cares of this world and all of just the the turmoil that we go through as, as sinners in this world that need your grace constantly, Lord. So we thank you for these scriptures, and I pray tonight that they are an encouragement to your people, Lord. And ask for you to, again, just to bless our, our time together. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so in this section of Psalm 119, we see a man not just dependent on the Lord in all aspects of his life, but rather a man who seeks to possess God, having the full divine blessing of the Creator to be upon him. To have God in such a way as to be fully satisfied in God. Why is that? Because you have God himself. You see, it takes the whole being and life of a man to know God in such a way. And that is what we see in our example with David. In the first four verses tonight, David is celebrating the joy of knowing God, the goodness of his word, and how it leads him to repentance. In the last four verses, David begins with the wicked that moves to praise of God because of his good word. He identifies that his friends are those who keep God's precepts. And then concludes with the theme of God's glory and his loving kindness filling the earth. In reflecting on these aspects of David's walk with God, what becomes evident is one must have a thorough knowledge of the Bible. I don't mean to have an encyclopedic understanding. Rather, our hearts need to be saturated in the scriptures, feeding on the word as nourishment to our souls. See, we come to scripture to know God, not facts and information. And if we don't devote our time to the Word, then we are not devoting our time to God. It's that simple. We won't be able to live as God has called us to live if we don't know what He's commanded us to do. First, it begins with a new heart. A new heart that desires God above all things. So where does God fit into your life? Let's see what David has to say. In verse 57, he says, The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. David calls the Lord his portion, indicating that the Lord is his source of security. The Hebrew word for portion is a term used for land and property, which was of great economic importance for Israel. You see, when the Israelites came out of the wilderness into the land of Canaan, every tribe received a portion of land. This is what they were waiting for, the promised land, the promise that began with Abraham. But what does Scripture tell us about the Levites, the priests? 
In Deuteronomy 18, 1-2, it says, The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They will eat the Lord's food offerings. That is their inheritance. Although Levi has no inheritance among his brothers, the Lord is his inheritance as he promised him. See, in the land of Canaan, the priests were given these small cities scattered throughout the land so they could be available to minister to the people and perform their, their duties for God. They had no land, but what they had was better. The Lord was their portion. God himself was their lot. And that is how David wanted his portion to be. In other Psalms from David, we see him speak of the Lord as his portion, to which he says, the Lord is his cup of blessing that holds his future. The unfeeling strength of his heart and his shelter in the land of the living. The book of Hebrews tells us that God has provided something better for us, something that the majority of the Israelites did not have, a royal priesthood status. First Peter tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. See, God has made himself our portion. But the question is, have you made him yours? Now, in showing that David sees that the Lord is his portion, he determines to keep his words. Not that the Lord needs David's obedience to be who he is. Rather, God being his portion is what encourages and guides him to keep his commands. It motivates him. David is saying that he is satisfied in God alone, and a satisfied heart is an obedient heart. A satisfied heart is an obedient heart. David promises to keep God's words because he delights in God, which moves him to denounce all the lusts of the flesh. But we must ask ourselves, will I be able to keep these promises like David says? No. How often do we fail to be faithful to God? How often have our hearts strayed from trusting God? All the time, daily, right? Nevertheless, we desire to keep his words, but we say it, and we do it with a heart dependent upon God. This is the only way we can keep his commands. But God knows we will fail because we are of the flesh. But keeping God's commands is also repenting when you fail to keep God's commands. That's an important part of that. When you fail to keep God's commands, you don't harden your heart, you repent, you repent of your sin. When was the last time that you openly repented to God? Actually said by your bed, or in your car, at your, at your table, saying, God, forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry for falling short today. It's a, it's a very good conscience cleanser for doing that. <clears throat> See, we are called to be holy as he is holy, and a holy heart is a repentant heart. Scripture says God desires mercy, not sacrifice. In Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist exclaims to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Produce fruit consistent with repentance. You see, his purpose was to highlight their pride in thinking that they're keeping God's words by their mere outward appearance of obedience. What they needed was a complete change in their understanding of God, thus reorienting their life toward God and away from their human traditions and self-righteous works. They didn't have the Lord as their portion. Rather, they boasted. They boasted in being from Abraham and having the law of Moses instead of a repentant heart toward God for their evil ways. They were not like David who said, Turn my heart to your decrees. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. 
Give me life through your righteousness. He kept God's words through seeing that he has life in God as his portion and not from himself. But for many, it takes the heavy hand of God to bring about repentance. In the book of Lamentations, the author Jeremiah is picking up the pieces following the Lord's judgment and destruction of Jerusalem. The city was in ruins and their sin was punished. While Jeremiah was in anguish for Israel, he knows that God's faithful love will keep him from perishing. And he says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. When you think your sin will lead you to ruin, know that God's mercies are new every morning. Put your hope in him, make him your portion. And as the Lord was his portion, David from the heart seeks the favor of God, asking that God be gracious to him according to his promise, or literally according to your word. He writes in verse 58, I have sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. A different rendering of that passage says, I sought your face. I sought to be before your face with all my heart because it was about a restoration of fellowship with God. But David is trusting that God will be gracious to those who seek God with all their hearts according to the great command. Deuteronomy 6.5 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. While David promises to keep God's words, at the same time he asks that God be gracious to him according to his promise. Why is that? Because grace is the primary source of blessing from which God will bestow mercy upon us. He is the fountain of grace. He wants to give nothing but grace. He is a grace-giving God. Why would we not want to seek him and ask him to be gracious? You see, David is trusting that God will be faithful to him, even though he fails to be faithful to God. It is God's word that David finds hope. David knows that while he delights in God and his word, he needs God's grace because he will fall short of his word. Now, David is called the man after God's own heart. Yet some of us might think, how can that be considering his sin with Bathsheba and having her husband killed in battle? Now, in that moment, David wasn't seeking God's heart. That's why he needs his grace. But you see, that moment reveals something to us, not about David, but about God. God sought after David according to his promise to David in sending the prophet Nathan to bring David to repentance. What a gracious God. David didn't go seeking out God. God went to him and sent him Nathan to turn him from his ways. And God does that with us through the work of the Holy Spirit. When we sin, when our steps begin to veer off the path of righteousness, the Spirit brings us right back. He convicts us of our sin and gets us to turn back to God's ways. And that's what we see in verse 59. David says, I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. David's ways were riddled with sin. He understood that he was conceived in sin, as he says in Psalm 51.3. He says, my sin is always before me. And he also says, I am conscious of my rebellion. So his sin and his rebellion is always before him. These are the ways that David was thinking about. I mean, how often did he, as the rest of us, how often did David indulge himself in the passions of his flesh, pursuing the cares of the world 
carelessly wandering around as though blind, choosing one sinful thing after the other. How often have we done that? Plenty of times. Even as believers. Because sin is deceiving. Sin is deceptive. It's very easy to be entangled in it, which is why we need God's grace, which is why we need God to lead us. All throughout Psalm 19, David is constantly telling God, turn my eyes, keep me going this way, keep me off the paths of sin. But the text says, he turned his steps back to God's decrees. And I've already said this, but how does one turn his steps back to God's decrees? Psalm 51, 17, David says, The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. The language that God speaks is a language of contrition. I don't believe in the love language stuff, but with God, he speaks the language of contrition. The sinner who comes to God with a contrite spirit, a humbled heart, by God's grace, is the way one turns one's back, one steps back to God's decrees. This step is a vital step for the character of a person. In Luke 18, we have the, the um, story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You see, the Pharisee thanked God that he is not a sinner like everyone else, priding himself on fasting and tithing. But the tax collector was deeply aware that he was a sinner just like everyone else seeing that nothing but the mercy of God would make him righteous. He couldn't even come before anybody. He was by himself, off in the corner, could not look up to the heavens. He was beating his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. In verse 60, we see the eagerness of a humbled heart. David writes, I hurried, not hesitating to keep your commands. You see, God's commands are life. It's not a list of to-dos. It's not some moral precepts that we just want to make sure we try to abide by. His commands give us life. His word provides for us the path to which we can live righteously before our God. David, seeing his rebellious ways, didn't just turn back. He hurried. He hurried without delay, fleeing back to God to keep his commands without hesitation. What keeps you from doing the same? How many instances has God shown his grace in delivering you from Satan's snares to where you just dust yourself off and you continue on the same path? To do so is to harden your heart and despise his goodness. God wants you to turn to him and be obedient so that you will live. And it starts with a a regenerate heart, a heart changed by the grace of God, a heart of stone that's been taken out in a new heart of flesh that desires God. So if you don't perceive God's grace by a willing spirit to follow him without hesitation, then it seems that the cares of the world, which is a chasing after the wind, are more important. God comes to rescue you off that path. You just get up, dust yourself off, and you keep on walking. Again, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled into thinking you can avoid Satan's traps. The path to death is wide and easy, and many find it. The path to life is narrow and hard, and Scripture says few will find it. And this is what David understands. This is why he hurries to keep God's commands, seeing that they reveal the path to life. The path to life is living in God's presence, where his hand leads one to eternal pleasures. 
If you recall the story of Joseph and Potiphar, well, the story of Joseph and dealing with Potiphar's wife, excuse me. In Genesis 39, we see it often mentioned that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him, blessing him in all that he did. Potiphar even saw that the Lord was with him in everything he did. But when Potiphar's wife came slithering by, trying to seduce Joseph, he fled away quickly as she grabbed him, leaving nothing but his garment behind. Why did he flee? He fled because God was his portion. God was his portion. The text says that he knew that such an act was immensely evil sin against God. In that moment, he didn't hesitate. He hurried to keep God's commands. He took the narrow path. Where did it lead him? The prison. As mentioned, that path is narrow and hard. The struggles of life and sin make that path unbearable for many, which is why they don't stay on it. And David was caught in that struggle many times. He writes in verse 61, Though the ropes of the wicked were wrapped around me, I did not forget your instruction. In this passage, David is using a metaphor of ropes that the wicked used to wrap around him. But David isn't speaking about being tied up by his enemies, but rather the ropes are the deceptive allurements by which the world entangles him in, or, or the fraudulent acts of his enemies who devised to bring him to ruin. If you follow David, he was constantly looking behind his back all the time. But you look at his household, look at his household, and in the sin that he did brought ultimate havoc to his household as well. <clears throat> Why? Because he was allured by the things of the world. So we can look at both options here. So in the first way, David, when caught in the entanglements of the world, by God's grace, did not forget God's word. And in so doing, he did not let the hazards of the, of the world stifle his trust in the Lord, having no power to shipwreck his faith. While his sin and rebellion were always before him, he did not forget God's instructions. You see, by God's grace, he could see the carnal things of the world as they really are, vanities and empty deceptions leading to ruin and death. David learned that the hard way as well through the consequences of his sin, losing his child with Bathsheba, and then his household ultimately just falling into ruin. Now, in the latter understanding of this passage, when, David, when David's enemies sought to bring him down, David enduring oppression and on the brink of losing all hope, he did not forget the words of the Lord, that he would not let him fall. God saved him time and time again, because why? He bestowed his blessing upon him. It was through him that the Messiah would come, and he promised him that there would be somebody in his throne after him. <clears throat> it is easy to doubt God's providence when we are surrounded by our enemies, both physical and spiritual. As Christians, we know that the Lord has defeated our greatest enemy, which is death. Death has been defeated. Nothing can touch you. So knowing that, we should never doubt God's word and promises that we will be delivered from the entanglements of the world and from the evil one. We will crush the evil one under our feet, the scriptures say. The path to glory has already been set before us by Christ. We just need to walk in it in faith, keeping his law in our hearts. He has planted his law in our hearts. He's given us new desires. He's given us a spirit that seeks him. Now, in the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility, there is that toggle, that, 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 excuse me, that struggle that we have with our sin and with God's grace. But he keeps us in that state and moves us forward to glory 
and he wants us to depend upon him. That is why we have struggles in this world. He wants us to be coming to him constantly. He wants us to be his portion, not the world. How easy it is to put our hopes in things of the world, but we know that they are nothing but ruin and death. In the opening of David's song of thanksgiving in 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 to 3, David says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. Listen to all those things. My deliverer, my fortress, my rock. Let us not forget these words when we are tangled in the ropes of the wickedness of the world. God is our deliverer, our Savior, our mighty fortress. He will not let us go. Verse 62, David says, I rise at midnight to thank you for your righteous judgments. So when was the last time you rose at any hour of the night or morning and thanked the Lord for his righteous judgments? Now, I've been in a very challenging season in my life. And I've come to a place where I have extreme gratitude for the mornings. For a while, the nighttime was so difficult for me that I could only fall asleep knowing and praying and trusting and hoping that God's morning mercies would be here soon. The nights were so long, so long. But every morning when I would wake up, I would sit up with joy that the night was gone. A new day was ahead of me. I really think that affliction makes us more grateful to the Lord. So I believe that David was going through intense affliction during his time in Psalm 119. In verse 55 of Psalm 119, he says, he remembers God's name in the night. So it seems that David was either up in the middle of the night to pray, or the struggles of his affliction would make him wake up constantly. But I think, I think David was actually more intentional. I think David actually woke up at midnight to praise his creator. What does it show? It shows a diligence on, God, on David's part that he didn't want large portions of the day to pass without giving glory to the Lord. In verse 164, Psalm 119, David says he praises God seven times per day. So this was his continuing practice of giving glory to the Lord. Now, church, I'm not telling you to wake up every three hours. If you want to, that'd be amazing. I don't wake up every three hours. But start your day with a prayer of thanks. First thing in the morning before you grab your phone to look at Facebook or look at Twitter or see the news, sit up and sit on the end of your bed for just 30 seconds. Close your eyes. Just breathe. Listen to the birds outside. See the sun coming in through the window. And thank him for a new day of his mercy. And I guarantee you, your day will be so much better for it. I know it is for me. I've been doing it for the last four months. And it is just a time of solace. And the day starts out really well. And even if the night comes, when it does come by his grace, and it's a bad night, I'm just hopeful for the morning mercy to come the next day. But just be thankful for that. And maybe text a blessing to a friend, encouraging them to have joined the Lord because a new day has come. A new day has come. It's just another sign of God's goodness to us. We've all been there. We've all gone through nights. We want to end. 
Sometimes morning comes and it may be a dreadful morning, but still be thankful. Maybe you're not looking forward to what's to come the next day, but be thankful a new morning has come. In verse 63, David says, I am a friend to all who fear you, to those who keep your precepts. David had many enemies. But to those who fear the Lord and follow his commands, David was a friend. So the implication in this passage is that no matter what background or on what side of the planet one lives, a fear of the Lord and obedience to his commands is the grounding of friendship. And Jesus affirms that notion in John 15, 14, when he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And Philippians 2 tells us that we are united in the Spirit. We have been called into a body of believers, having one mind in Christ Jesus. Those who do not follow God's commands are friends with the world and enemies of God, Scripture says. The world is at enmity with God. Don't be deceived by that either. To the Christian life is a community project. God didn't call us to live as lone rangers. All true children of God are united in Christ. So we must be with the body of believers, otherwise we will perish. When you are away from the body of believers, you are outside the graces of God as he's purposed. You seek encouragement, you seek help, you will only get it through God's people. Yes, the world can help with worldly needs, but the anguish of the soul does not come from the world. Only the church, only the body of believers that have been indwelled by God's Spirit can provide that, can help that. So don't ever forsake that. I know a lot of times when people are going through hard times, they tend to pull away from everything. They pull away from church, from their friends, from the Word, thinking, oh, I just need to be by myself. That's when you're at the worst. You're your own worst enemy because you have your mind to deal with. And if your mind isn't thinking right, if your mind isn't saturated in the Word of God, you will only speak lies to yourself instead of truth. <clears throat> in the closing of this prayer, David ends with an expression reflecting on God's infinite goodness being dispensed throughout the world. He says, Lord, the earth is filled with your faithful love. Teach me your statutes. Often we look at the state of the world and all the wickedness that we see we see on social media and the news and just hear about it. I mean, everybody's filming everything and people only post only the worst things, right? And you think, wow, the world is not filled <laughs> with God's faithful love. But the fact that we are breathing, we have food, we enjoy the various things on this earth, we get to come here to church without being persecuted. We have jobs. We have people that care for us. We have all these things that show us that God's faithful love fills the earth. Don't ever neglect the simple things, things we take for granted. On the end of this verse, David says, <clears throat> that reminds us of God's grace, and that while David promises to keep God's words, he still needs God to teach them to him. He says, Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Now, we know what the Bible says on many issues, but we often remain hearers and not doers. You have solid preaching week in and week out. You have Bible study. You have your own personal time of the Word. You have all these books and, and podcasts dedicated to the teaching of the Word. 
to hear such good things, but most often we just are hearers only. We weren't born again to be hearers only. We are born again to be the example of Christ to the world. We are born again to be the church representing the glory of God to the world. And we can only know that through hearing the word of God and carrying out what it says. But as David, who was so close to God, he still would say, God, teach me. Teach me your word. What keeps us from being doers? Our flesh. Our flesh keeps us from applying the word to our lives. So what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit's enlightening power of the word of God in our lives. God has given us a comforter. He's given us the truth in the work of the Spirit. Because man in his own strength cannot carry out the works of God. Because apart from God, he can do nothing, John 15 says. David sees that he can only learn God's statutes through God's supernatural influence. And if you've been hearing the previous sermons on Psalm 119, you constantly hear David saying that. He delights in his word, but please Get me back to your word. I delight in your statutes. Please help me be on the right path. You keep thinking if he delights in these things, why does he keep saying this? Because our flesh gets in the way. And it's a reminder to us that you can only do these things through the work of the Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. The reality is that God accomplished it for you. He's now carrying you to the promised land through the Holy Spirit. That's what David sees here. And that is how God shows his faithful love to us as believers. He remembers that we are merely flesh, here today like a vapor, gone in minutes of the blowing of the wind. But Scripture says his gifts are irrevocable. So what will God do? He will supply every need for us to live according to his ways, no matter where you are at. God will supply beyond what you can imagine because of his, unfaithful, of his faithful love. Throughout this section of Psalm 119, we see David's effort to have God as his portion, his treasure. We see he sought God's favor, he followed God's statutes, he obeyed God's commands, he remembered God's law, he thanked God for his laws, and he identified with others who follow God's precepts. See, David knew and cherished the word of the Lord because through it he came to know God. He came to know God. That's what we should desire first. Not the eternal life to come, but the life with God to come. That's already started here and now. It's a great question that I've posed to some people in the past. You may have heard of it. And the question is, would you want to be in heaven if Jesus wasn't there? I think a lot of people would say yes. Because their idea of heaven, their idea of the life to come is to have all these things of the world they want there in abundance, but without Christ. Our portion aren't the things of the world. Our portion is God. That's what we get. We get God through this. He's infinitely glorious, which means you will be learning forever. You'll be coming to know God forever. It will never end. You'll have everything that you could ever want in God. We were made to be worshipers of God. And the things of the world get in the way of that. But he will destroy all those things and burn those up. So all it will be will be he and us. He and us. 
So David knew how important the Word of God is. He cherished it. He found this portion in it. Psalm 19 is all about knowing the Word of God and cherishing it and living on it and applying it to our lives. Life is a minefield. And the only way to navigate through it is by the hand of the Lord. Maybe you haven't stepped on a mine yet. If you read your Bible, you will quickly find out that it is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Don't walk alone when you have the God of this world to lead you into glory. That is the only way you will get there. So make God your portion. And if you are here and you are not a believer and you hear this message for the first time, you may think you can do it alone. You can't. Not by any means. You will stumble hard. You'll be face down on the ground. And God will do that to many people. He lifts up kings. He brings them down. You may think you're a king in your own right. But it is coming when you have to face the Lord. You want to face him by grace. Not by being forced into submission. But that's what the hard heart will do. They'll keep rejecting God. I keep thinking my way is the way to go. You see the things of this world, the cares of this world. You put your, your hope in the treasures that are here. There's no portion in those things. There's no portion at all. God gave us good things to point to him. To look to him. To see him as the greatest good. So if you are in your sins, you need to repent. You need to repent of the life that you're living See that only in him alone is eternal life. Eternal life in him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Your word says you are the God of all comfort, of all blessings, of all glory. We thank you for this time, Lord, and I pray that your word has stirred up hearts. Your word has given comfort. I pray for your word to change hearts. Help us be about you. Help us live as you are our portion. Help us to live with contrite spirits. May your spirit humble us. May your spirit tear away any pride that we have in what we do. Let us be about your glory. Let us be about having a servant's heart because we are so full of your goodness All we want to do is give and serve. Help us on the path, the narrow path that you have called us to. May we see you as our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our savior. You are a giving God, and we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your your son Christ, that he's gone before us, and he paved that path so that we Have a beacon before us to walk upon, to see what is before us. Help us, Lord, to have joy in our salvation. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.